podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, hello, here we go, it's the Combine Podcast. What is happening, everyone, and welcome back to the Cop Eye Podcast. On today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by former Liverpool striker Neil Miller. Neil, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. No, it's boss to have you. It's um, yeah, it's nice to do these type of shows where we get an insight into the years gone by and uh, reminisce and stuff and talk about Liverpool. Uh, and yeah, nice one for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Mick, Mick, let me just get it out of the way to start with because people will be looking at my background thinking, what's that? So that's the 2004-2005 shirt. Um, and then the picture next to it, that point that way, was was my academy debut. Um, and uh, for my 18th birthday, my, my family had um, it, it um, painted for me. So that was a, a nice moment. Oh, class. Yeah, yeah, that looks really good, actually, that, to be fair. Is that like your little study setup, is it, you've got yeah. that going on there? You can't see the wind in Kirby on that uh, painting, because, but that was, that was <laughs> my baby. Sheffield Wednesday was on the front pitch of the academy. Yeah, oh, boss, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that shirt's, like, iconic, I think I've got. I've got that somewhere, I think, I think I've got Alonso on the back, because I just thought that was the... the... What a player. What a... Oh. Do you know, the thing with the shirts back then was, you used to just say, what size do you want? And I was like, ah, XL. So all the shirts are like bagging, you're thinking, yeah. why did you get an XL? Should have gone medium or large? Medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now it's gone like the other way and everyone's got like tight shirts. I'm sure it'll come back full circle again, won't it? And the baggy will be back in at some point. Um, but yeah, Neil, like I said, really, really appreciate you taking the time to jump on. I just thought we'd, I mean, I know you've probably been asked all the, the standard questions loads. I'm gonna We're going to get into them because I've got to ask you, obviously, because you're the first time you're on on the Copy podcast. So but I just wanted to start at the beginning really and obviously your dad Ian was a um, was a player for Man City and then obviously you were a big City fan uh, growing up and ended up playing for them as well from I think you from when you were like when you were like 10 to 16 and obviously then they decided to let you go when you were um 16 even though you were banging in the most goals in the in the youth setup and all that. But how do you look back on that that period in in your in your life? Yeah, well, well, I have to say my dad was massive for me during my career because he had been a professional. He started at Man City, went to Norwich, Brighton, Sheffield Wednesday, um, and, and he had a decent career for himself. Obviously, didn't make the money that the players make these days, but it was something I always wanted to do and following his footsteps to be a player like him. And he, he played for City when, when City were good, sort of back in sort of the early 70s. Then he went rubbish for like 30 odd years. And then obviously the money came in and it changed the football club completely. So, so yeah, growing up, City was the team that I, I followed. And for a lot of fans, they will think, how can anyone ever change club um, teams, team that you fancy, uh, that, that, you, that you follow? But it, but it happens t- to many players. So, you know, not just me, but many ex-Liverpool players uh, have taken the football club to heart. And that's what happened to me. So at 16, yeah, I was at City scoring goals every year, top goal scorer. And it came as a surprise, I have to say, when they, when they did let me go. Um, so I was thinking, OK, maybe my football dream was over. Played for England schoolboys, scored five goals in a game. And then pretty much every team in the country was saying, right, OK, we want to sign you, including City. And I was like, you've just bid me off. There's no way I'm coming back to you. So um, Liverpool gave me that opportunity and, and the rest is history. So today, what am I now? Nearly 40. I can't believe how, how old I am. Left City at 16 and they sort of ended my football dream. But it was Liverpool who gave me my football dream. So to experience everything about the football club, Liverpool is 
now my team, my dad is still Man City. So a few years ago, Liverpool played City in the cup final and City won on penalties. And I got, I was watching the game. I had one sofa with my little lad and my dad had the other sofa. So we had the away end and my little boy wouldn't speak to his granddad for an hour afterwards because City had beat, beat us on penalties. But yeah, so so Liverpool is, is now my team. But growing up, it was City till that moment at 16. Yeah, but like you said, there's like players like Carragher, like probably the, the highest profile one. He was a massive, massive blue, went to all the games and obviously then signed for Liverpool and, and then it changes because of, of, of course, you're not going to, you, you can't keep that affinity when you've you've, you've pulled on a share for a, another club and, and you stay there for a while and you, like like you said, you get embedded in the city and you get used to the values and, and stuff like that. Um, I moved to Liverpool, so that was a big thing for me because my dad yeah. said, listen, you need to go and understand what the football club's about, what the people are about. So, so I moved into Anfield Road and it's, it's quite sad going to the games now because I can see the, the redevelopment and it looks amazing. That was my home for three years. And um, so that really helped me connect with what the city was about and what the people were about. Um, and and that helped me think, wow, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, and then just obviously just going back a little bit to obviously when City released you, how, how did it... How did it come to be that? Was it was was obviously imagine Steve Highway, Stevie Highway was influential and all that. But what was it that was it that Liverpool came first after that and they wanted to give you the platform or was it? So, so how it worked was, I was under sixteen at Man City and they didn't have a team, so I was on the bench for under seventeens and I wasn't getting much game time. So my dad said, right, we'll ask for your release. So it wasn't City going, we want to get rid of you. So we, we sort of tested the water, went right, well. Release, release, and then and they did. So it was like, okay, fair enough. They've um, they've released me. And I was upset. Of course, I was upset. Um, and and I was just carrying on with my school. And like I say, playing for the England schoolboys was when I, I got noticed by scoring five goals in a game, and, and that was when the chance of a trial at Liverpool. So my, my debut trial for Liverpool was sixteen. I come off the bench for uh, Rick Parry's lad Jamie. He was a centre forward at the time, and one all Man United at. at, at uh, the old cliff, that's where it was, yeah. So one all come off the bench, scored the winner, decent goal, gone around the goal. He scored the winner against United, so I'm buzzing with that. Hat trick next game against Newcastle, couple against Leeds the next game. So all of a sudden, I'm on absolute fire on trial. So that was when Stevie called me into his office, Stevie Highway, and I'm thinking, right, okay, this is when I find out if I'm going to get a contract or not. And I'll always remember what he said. So, so he wants me to sign, but he goes, we think you're raw. So I'm thinking, surely you've got to tell me how good I am. But he, but, but he didn't. He said, no, we think you're raw. We can work with you. We can make you better. And, and we'd love you to sign. So it was um, that was when, when I found out from Stevie Highway. 65 quid a week I was in my first contract. There you go. Big books back then. Ah, <laughs> oh, boss. Yeah, that's all. I mean... So do you think that was kind of like a that was like a like a way they don't want to like big like kids up basically yeah. and, and get them too ahead of the station before the um the, the, they get like to the bit the high levels. Uh, and another thing that Steve Stevie Highway said to me was, "You will leave this football club." So I'm preparing you to leave this football club if you're here for a year. Then all right, three years, five years, ten years, however long you've been here, you will leave this football club. And I'm sat there thinking. I just signed, but, 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 but he's getting in your head. Listen, yeah, yeah. enjoy and make the most of the time that you're here. And, and then he also said, listen, connect to the football club because you've got to really support this football club if you want to be here. So all, all those things combined was brilliant advice. I mean, Stevie Highway was an, an amazing coach, great player, of course, the fans still sing his name, but that advice definitely resonated with me. Yeah, and like you said, like the the stuff that, the, the amount of goals that you were scoring, like I've just got a few 
stats that you I mean you had to correct me on earlier. Wikipedia isn't <laughs> Wikipedia isn't quite the uh, fountain. <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia isn't quite the fountain knowledge that uh, people believe it is, but obviously in the in the youth uh, cup semi final during the two thousand, two thousand one season. Um I mean it, I imagine so did you score nine in in four games? That was just your, in the run to the into the into the semi final, was it? Is that up until that point? Yes, so so scored in every round, um, including a hat trick at Anfield, which um, I think it was Charlton scored a hat trick against. Um, so so it was a good run. There's only one player that scored more than me in the youth cup. That was Michael Owen. So nine, I think a few years back, did Glatz will get eight? He got close to it. Um, so yeah, it was a good return, to, and that was when you know I first got the chance to play at Anfield, albeit only two or three thousand there. But it was an unbelievable experience just to be there and playing, and obviously scoring a few goals. Yeah, not a bad player to be picked by Michael Owen. To be fair, I know Liverpool yeah. fans, some of the fans aren't um, his biggest um, friend after the whole Man United thing and whatever else. But yeah, on his on his day and in in his peak Liverpool time, Michael Owen was absolutely. Amazing, wasn't he? So, and obviously, then you went on to you were top goal scorer in the under 19s um, reserves during the 2001 2002 season. Scoring 46 goals, and then on, on Wikipedia, it said 56, including friendlies. I imagine you yeah. go with 56. I include friendlies, of course, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm out there on the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I used to love the reses because back then, playing with some of the, the first team players that weren't playing at the weekends, you know, Jamie Redknapp, Gary McAllister, Marcus Babel. Um, it was it was like being around some senior players that I absolutely buzzed off, and and the opposition would I remember scoring past Paul Robinson, who was the England goalie at the time, he was uh, playing a game for Leeds in, in the comeback game, and I scored, and it gave me a massive boost to be playing and scoring in some of those games. So it was that was a good season. That was a really good season for me. I was down at the academy. It was separate then, academy in Melwood. So I hadn't stepped up to, to being around the first team. The only time was those reserve games where I got to see the first team players. Yeah, and that that's something that obviously that that pr- provides you with like a big, a massive like platform because it gives you confidence and you and then you obviously wanting to break into the first team and then the year after obviously that you play you play six games and you get one goal and you like your first proper season if you like in two thousand two two thousand three, um we go on to win the league cup uh, and losing the FA Cup unfortunately to Arsenal that season but how was that. How was that transition for you? Like you said, you, you scored in like fucking hundreds in the the resies, and you're doing really well. How did how did that like? How did your mentality did it did it after after switch slightly, or were you just still focused on just banging in as many as you could? Yeah, well, my dad always said, just don't be scared of any reputations. Go and show them what you're all about. So I was like, <clears throat> fine, down at Melwood now. Let's do what I do and, and score goals. And and I won the the respect and the trust of the senior players. By doing that, I wasn't overawed. I was like, oh my God, I'm with Stephen Gerrard and Jamie Carragher and Yari Lippman. And it was a case of, no, I've earned the right to be here. Now I'm going to show you why I'm down here. And and I fitted in absolutely fine. Carried on scoring goals. Used to celebrate goals in training. And Sammy Lee and Phil Thompson were like, enjoyed it. Because I enjoyed scoring against Sander Westerveld and Jersey Dudek and the likes. It was, um, I enjoyed all that. Yeah, we've actually had Sander on the on the podcast uh, a couple of years ago. That was that was a fun one. But yeah, like like you said, like if you're coming into like as a youngster, you're breaking through. You of course you're gonna be like you're gonna be like in a proper a buzz moment where you're like right, I'm 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 amongst players that you've you've watched and you've and you've seen how good they are. But now you're amongst them, so you have to. I suppose you have to like just 
make sure that you're not thinking, oh, these players are above my level. But these are these are players that I need to be like embedded with and getting used to on a daily basis and stuff. Uh, yeah, and also the players would work out if I wasn't up to it or good enough very quickly. So so I settled in because because I could handle it and the training sessions I could contribute and you know Stevie could wrap a ball into me knowing that I could control it and when we did shooting I could you know outscore some of the other strikers and so so. I, w- I was a part of it, and, and that was why I was involved with a few of the match days. I mean, you mentioned there the stats my first season. The, the goal I scored was semi-final goal against Sheffield United. That was the year we won it, 2003 against United, beating United. No better team to win a final, is there? But but I'll always remember it was at Cardiff, and um, I was there were 17 of us that went down. And Gerard Hulier said to me the day before, he said, if anyone gets ill... You're on the bench. I'm like, oh, my God, devastated. Because I thought I was going to be on the bench. Because back then, there was only five subs. I was like, oh, flipping out. Who's going to te- tell him the, the real on the day of a cup final against Man United? Um, so so I was part of the 17-man squad on the bench in the dressing room. But officially, I wasn't on the bench. Got a medal because obviously I played my part in the competition and was part of the match day squad. But um, yeah, never got to get on the pitch. By the way, that was a great party. We stayed down in Cardiff that year, and we uh, we celebrated with the cup on the on the, the dance floor. <laughs> love that, absolutely love that. But yeah, like so, um, that was like an amazing, amazing year. Obviously, getting getting trophies, and obviously, it's like I suppose now when you look at the, the teams we've got now uh, on the clop and stuff, like it's more acceptable that Liverpool are winning trophies. But I suppose back then. We had good. We had a good team, but it was more like there was more. I suppose there was more quality in around in around the league and around the cups. That if we won something, it was more. I don't know. It was more revered, I suppose, and more more celebrated because Liverpool weren't as 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 good as maybe we wanted to be. So I suppose you can celebrate it more. I suppose if you look at it like that. Um, but then in the March of the uh, the two thousand and three. Um, obviously, you mentioned Gerard Dulé, and I'll ask you about him him in a second. But you gave you like a, th- a three year extension from from there from two thousand three, obviously till two thousand six. That did you, how did that feel? Because obviously that was a, like that must have felt like a confirmation that you were like embedded in the squad. You knew that you had quality, and that must have been like a real boost for you. Yeah, I scored the goal in the semi final. Played the next Premier League game against Aston Villa. Wasn't great, did okay. Um, and then on the Monday morning, I remember him saying to me, you know, you've you've earned the right for a new contract. So I was absolutely buzzing. I'd gone from obviously the youth money to to being offered professional proper first team wait not top wages, but better wages that than I'd been on. Um and I always remember saying to him, Okay, great. Um he said, I want you to use my agent. And back then, my dad used to work for the PFA. So the PFA to me was an organisation that looked after the players. So I said, no, 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 I'm getting looked after by the PFA, Gordon Taylor. Um, (laughs) And he went, "Okay, fair enough. And I only got on for six more minutes in his entire uh, duration as manager after saying that I was not going to be using his agent. Whether that had had any relevance, I don't know. But it was was a big surprise that, that that was the case. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned before, like I just wanted to like touch on Gerard Hulé just a little bit before we move on to like obviously the the iconic shirt that's uh, hung up behind you and that and that season and stuff. But obviously, he sadly passed away in December of twenty twenty. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what was your relationship uh, like with him at that time? Liked him, yeah. Um, I, I, I thought he. He gave me my debut for Liverpool, so I'll always be eternally grateful for that. He was he was the start of when the continental players started to come over to the Premier League. So he changed a lot of things down at the training ground. 
I remember one of the first times I was down there, they'd be like bottles of Coke, Sprite, chocolate bars. I was like, happy days, fill me boots after training. But he quickly got rid of all that. So all of a sudden the diet side of things changed. Um, and it'd, it'd, come, it'd only come down on the training pitch, usually just on a Friday. And, and things were a little bit sharper just before the match day. He was, um, yeah, I, I mean, he was a top coach, wasn't he? And he, he brought success to Liverpool. And, and for giving me my debut, I'll always, always be grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. And what a what a guy. Rest in peace, Gerard Houllier. What a, I mean, what a manager. What a what a guy. And he's he's someone that goes down as a, a Liverpool legend and always will be. Um, but I just wanted to move on a little bit to obviously the next season you go. And I'm this obviously this is a Liverpool podcast, but just like when I was when I was like putting the, the questions together for this, I just thought like the, the loan to West Ham and obviously to Glenn Glenn Rose West Ham in two thousand three two thousand four. Obviously, back in the uh, the first division, as it was called then, obviously the championship. Now, you got you got twenty one appearances for them uh, and scored in two goals. But I just that actually, like, what... that's a terrible return. No, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but like, it's it's one of those, isn't it? Like, I suppose at the time, like, like you're talking, like when I was looking through like the names there, I couldn't believe, like, obviously they'd just been relegated the first time that they had been for. For for a while, anyway. Obviously, since I think since the Premier League, so it's been 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 a, been a quite a big big chunk there mm-hmm. of of time. So they had like Michael Carrick and and, and Hutchinson, Rob Lee, Jermaine Defoe, Marlon Harewood. So they, they had they had good players, didn't they? So I suppose it was more of a you maybe trying to break into that team because that was like a that's a Premier League team. I think obviously they've just been relegated, so they still had a lot of quality yeah. there. They'd lost Joe Cole, they'd lost uh, Canute. Um, Glenn, Johnson, Glenn, Glenn Johnson, Glenn Johnson, Glenn Johnson, yeah, yeah. left in that summer. David James was still there. Thomas Repka, Christian Daly, Ian Pierce, Stevie Lomas, Rob Lee was there. Um, uh, Mike Edvington was there. It was Nicky Carrick was there. Jermaine Defoe, it was decent players. That's it was a decent quality, players. Quality. Yeah, it was. Um, do you know what? I, I was gutted to leave Liverpool at the time because I remember I was flying in pre-season and scored two goals for Liverpool away at Aberdeen. And I was thinking, right, I'm part of things again. I wasn't expecting to start, but I was thinking, I'm going to be part of the squad and get game time. And and Julio came up to me after the game. I've scored two goals. We beat Aberdeen 5-1. That was when Harry Kuehl scored his first Liverpool goal. And he said, do you want to go to West Ham or Sunderland? Have a little think about it because I'd like you to go on loan and and, and improve as a player. I was, oh, a bit gutted because I didn't want to leave. And so I had to make that decision. I remember ringing Mick McCarthy, who was the Sunderland manager, and telling him that I didn't want to sign for him. That was awkward. You know, nowadays players obviously just get their agents to do it. But my dad said, no, no, no. You've got to ring Mick McCarthy and tell him you don't want to sign him. I think that was about 11 seconds, the phone call. Um, and, and then obviously West Ham, I signed for West Ham. What player would sign for a football club? And they picked them up at the service station. I got picked up at Nutsford Services um, because the first game was was Black, uh, was Preston away and we were going to train at, at Blackburn. So they picked me up at the services. I'm sat next to Jermaine Defoe. We go to train. I've literally just said hello to everyone. And Glenn Roden names me in the starting lineup for the first game of the season. I'm like, just not a good way to get started with the team at all. Um, so and, and he went after two or three games. Um, so, so Trevor Brooking came in, loved it under him, and then Alan, Alan Pardew came in and didn't really get on, didn't see eye to eye, and I, I came back to Liverpool to to end, end my uh, loan spell there. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you, like, what was the what was that dressing room like then? Because, like I said, there's loads of loads of top players there. Was that was that? I wasn't going to say difficult, but 
was that like quite a big change from what from what you were used to? Yeah, in terms of quality, quality, because I've gone from Liverpool to West Ham, and West Ham has just been relegated. Um, but, but like I said, I could handle myself around the Liverpool players. I wasn't worried about handling myself around the West Ham players. Um, there was extra pressure because everyone was like, who's this young kid from Liverpool? You should be scoring 20 goals. And I wasn't. I wasn't doing the business on the pitch. Um, and then obviously that, that affected my game time. What I would say is though, what a group of lads in the dressing room. We'd, we'd go out once, twice a month, all day. As it, back then you could get on it. It, it was fine because there was no social media and you could get away with it. And so the dressing room was really good in, in terms of that togetherness and the old sort of British spirit of going out and cracking on. Yeah, and I actually watched the um, I watched it before, but I rewatched your interview with um, Redman TV. Shout out Redman TV. That was obviously like about probably four years ago now. And you mentioned at the end of that that when you ever had a drink, you got like tonsillitis after the day after. Was that was that every time? If I, if I drank two days in a row, bang, that was it, gone. Tonsils, yeah. yeah. I remember missing a game for Liverpool because of it. I mean, I'm thinking back now, I'm thinking, what was I doing? But you, you make mistakes, you've got to learn from it. Um, and the game I missed, I just scored for Liverpool against Newcastle. And it was our Christmas due. Um, so we went out in town, enjoyed it, got smashed, young kid, obviously. And I thought, right, I want it again the next day. And then tonsillitis. And so I missed the next game, which was West Brom, when we beat them 6-0. I'm thinking, how many goals would they have scored? I was in bed watching the game thinking, gutted, absolutely gutted. But there you go. Should, yeah, should have probably did that, but, but there you go. No, no, but like when you it's different, isn't it? Because you can always look back, like hindsight's a wonderful thing. You can look back and go, I should have done that differently. But when you're in the moment and you and you've just you, you've just had a good a good day and you've you're celebrating with the rest of the lads, it's it's I suppose it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? Um but then obviously we need to get on to the iconic shape behind you. Mela thirty three, what a what a shirt, uh, and what a what a year it was in terms of for, for Liverpool and Champions League football because uh, obviously you came back from the West Ham loan um, you're playing for Liverpool you got 16 games and you got five goals that year and of course it was the it was the first season of uh, Rafa Benitez after Gerard Hulier left after six years but how did you find like coming back obviously you've you didn't really want to go to West Ham if, if you had the, the choice you come back um, there's a there's a different manager was it was it completely different when you when you came back yeah fresh start I was I was made up, I was thinking, right, okay, this manager might fancy me a little bit more. Um, and uh, and I, I remember the pre-season, he, he did say, he, he got us all in the room, must have been 24 of us, and he said, every one of you are going to play a part. And it, it's the first time where I felt part of things, where I thought, right, okay, I'm going I'm to be involved this season. And um, about a week into pre-season, my knees, I broke down with my knees. That was the first time when, when I experienced the knee troubles and gutted. I was then managing it, uh, injections, Draining my knee, steroids, um, being injected in there, tablets, painkilling tablets just to train, just to play. And, and so the moments I had that season, like we took, we'll talk about obviously Arsenal, Olympiacos, the first thing I did at the, when I got to Anfield those days was go straight into the medical room and get a, a painkilling injection just to get through the games because I was struggling that much with my knees, but I wasn't going to turn down the chance to play for Liverpool. And, and unfortunately, that was the cards I was dealt. I just had to get on with it. Yeah, and I just want to ask you quickly just on that. So, you obviously doing all this extra stuff that you don't really want to. And I'm, I think I read an interview that you did years ago today, and you were talking about like um, you didn't want Liverpool fans to think that you were lazy 
because obviously that you had the problems with the knees and stuff. So how how difficult was that though? Because you'd obviously was that like a daily thing where you had to literally just keep going in and like doing yeah. that? It's horrific. Yeah, knee was getting drained of about 80, 90 mil of fluid. So I couldn't even I couldn't, do you know the thigh stretch. I couldn't even do a thigh stretch. Oh so my, my knee God. was that full of fluid. Um, and then obviously taking the the, the tablets and the injections just to get through games to, to numb the pain. Uh, but but fans don't see that. So even players today, you'll watch the game and you think, why is he not at his best? Yeah. And sometimes we never know. You know, we don't know what sort of injuries or nickels players are carrying. But that was something, unfortunately, that followed me about. And and I didn't blame people for saying, "Wow, you you look lazy. Why are you not running about as much as you can?" Because physically, it was hard, really hard. Um, getting in and out of a car, walking up and down stairs was in pain. But I wasn't going to turn down the chance to play. Um, and obviously, I had a few moments through that pain barrier. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, especially as a, like a, a young lad, like that's like. Obviously, you, your livelihood is your is your legs and your feet and stuff like that, and your joints. You need them to be in tip top, don't you? So, that's uh, that, that must have been difficult. And even like psychologically, to try and like think why why is this happening to me at this time? And obviously, Liverpool were going through um, injury problems with the, the strikers and stuff, which we'll get onto. But I just wanted to ask you a bit more about uh, Rafa. Then, so like, so we've had, we've had like. We've had like different opinions on the, like from the, the people we've had on the show in the past. We've had Momo Sissoko, who said Rafa was like a father figure um, because. But then I think he had them. He had them at Valencia. He had them at Liverpool. Brought him to Liverpool. So I think they maybe had like a more of a connection. And other people like that. Um, it was kind of said like that. He's more. I don't know. He's more a bit colder. Was that was that something that you agree with? Yeah, he was cold, um, but he was. Brilliant coach, absolutely brilliant. I learned a lot from the time I was there with him. I felt as though he rated me, but but he was ruthless. So I was injured. So I was no good to him. And he was going to make the best decision for Liverpool and the centre-forward position. Um, he was cold in terms of, not like Jürgen would give you a big hug today, but, but he still appreciated what you did. I mean, the tactical side of the game was something that I learned so much every day. On the training ground, he was out there. So that was different to Gerard Houllier um, and and told us where we had to be with and without the ball. And it, and it wasn't the most exciting of training to start with. But I tell you what, he educated us and, and he got us organised and he got us to understand the game a lot better. One of the other things that he introduced, not just the tactical side of it, um, for pre-match, I went down for pre-match once and usually it was like cereals and toast, no butter. Wasn't allowed any butter on my, on my bread. I was like, "How can, what's the point of having toast with no butter? So, so that was another variation in, in how the diet had changed. Um, now, Rafa was a top, top coach and um, he gave me a lot of chances. So I'd always be grateful for that. And he understood the coldness about having to get rid of me because my injuries had, had taken its toll too much. Yeah, and obviously when he when he signed, he brought in obviously a lot of a lot of talented players. We mentioned Jabi Alonso earlier, Luis Garcia, Fernando Morientes, the Raffolution, as it was called. But we also saw the likes of Michael Owen leave, Marcus Barbel, Danny Murphy, Stefan Honshow. Did, did like I'm, I mean, you probably answered this, but like did like in terms of like the, even the training, like when you were training, did that feel like a massive switch in terms of what what you were used to when you were last at the club? Yeah, yeah, and. I can't remember if he if he kept Sammy Lee and Phil Thompson because they were massive for for Gerard Houllier and, and they understood you know the, what the football club was all about as previous players as well. Um, I, I think with sort of what changed with the dressing room was the Spanish boys 
integrated more than the French lads did. We had a lot of French lads in the dressing room with Gerard Hule. We just mentioned a few there. Garcia, Morientes came a little bit after. Alonso. But they just proper embedded themselves as, as the lads. Are. And we were a lot, I thought we were a lot closer as a dressing room with the Spanish lads coming in. Um, no surprise that obviously we had big success with the Champions League because of that togetherness. Yeah, and I, th- I think like for me when I was when I've looked back on like today and like when I've been doing putting this together, like you got you got two goals in the um, the two nil win over Middlesbrough in the League Cup in the November of that year at Anfield, and like when you when I was looking at their team, I was like like it's like a throwback to what you to Middlesbrough like back in the day because they were actually really 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 good. They were a decent side back yeah. then. I think they finished seventh and they were only three points behind us in the league. Obviously, we gave up on the league because like. Champions League was the priority at that point, but did you obviously scoring those two goals? Did you see that as like a as as a platform to build on? Yeah, big moment. Uh, first Anfield goals. Them. Uh, I think Emlyn Hughes had just passed away, so that was a, a night where we had a, a minute's silence for him wearing black armbands. That was very sad. Obviously, legend of the club. Um, but it was a big night for me to get a couple of goals and late goals as well. I think they were last ten minutes of the game. You, you know, sometimes as a young player, thinking I'm going to get dragged off here, 60, 70 minutes. But manager kept me on and obviously buzzing to get those couple of goals. It was uh, it was a nice moment. Yeah, and then I think it's only two weeks after that that we, we get to the Arsenal goal, which is one of the most iconic goals. And I think it's one of those that whenever you like, whenever I see it on Twitter, I just I have to retweet it because it's just one of those moments <laughs> where, like, as a, I think I was 15 at the time, where it's one of those where coming up against an Arsenal side that are just so good, like they're literally starting 11. I think you're up against like Sol Campbell and Colo Torre that day at centre back, which is like. Team. They were the top team, weren't they? Top team, Henry, Vieira, Fabregas, Perez, Jungberg, Ashley Cole. It was like, wow. They, they were the best team around at that at that time. Yeah, so we're, and we're going into that game. And obviously, Alonso scores a worldy as well. Like a nice little through ball outside the foot by Stevie. And, and Alonso belts a top left corner. And you're like, perfect. But then Vieira gets the equaliser um, just on the hour. And then are you like... When it gets to that point, are you worried a little bit? Because you're thinking it's um, it's 1-1. Is he going to maybe take me off at, at, like after they've scored or maybe bring someone else on? Are you worried that at that stage? Do you know what? Do you know Alonso scored? If you watch it again, I'm the first one on him because I'm thinking I'm in the I'm in the papers tomorrow celebrating with Alonso for that goal. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, when well, it gets to 60, 70 minutes, it's the easy option, isn't it, to bring off the young player? So I thought I was more surprised that he kept me on till the 90th minute. Um, and obviously, um, I remember big Chrissy Kirkland, route one, rather than playing out from the back, bang, up it goes. Me and Patrick Vieira elbow each other in the face and uh, Harry Kuehl gets cleaned out by a combination of Sol Campbell and Colo. And, and it just it was just there to hit. I mean, I didn't score many goals outside the box, but I hit that beautifully. And Lehman, Lehman, nowhere near it, into the back of the net. And, and it, was, it was a moment that it's nice to look back on and go, I can still feel it now in front of the cop. Just the noise, everyone shouting yes. And just, it was just an absolute buzz. From a young age, all I wanted to do was score goals. And that was the moment that just felt like, wow, that was the goal that I'd always wanted to score. And being the last minute winning goal against the best team around in front of the cop. Um, God, I loved, loved that moment. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that one. 
Yeah, because like players say, and obviously I would have loved to have been a player. We all would have. Anyone that's watching or listening um, would have loved to. But like scoring a goal is the best feeling ever. But to score a stoppage time winner against a world-class Arsenal team, does that elevate it? Does that feel like even more euphoric in the moment as well? Well, I'm still talking about it now, yeah. It's, I know, it's, yeah. Do, do you know what's Maybe nice? So. I, you know, I'd love to be sitting here thinking, I've got four or five hundred games in the belt for Liverpool, won this, won that. I've got a couple of moments that people remember. You're saying you were 15, you remember that, that goal. It's, it's nice that it was a significant moment that people still remember. And uh, in fact, I remember Alonso saying it, it that season, not that it, it gave us the belief, but but it did say we can beat the best team here. So, uh, and obviously, we went on to win the Champions League that year. So it was a case of a confidence booster to say we can compete with, with the best teams around, even though that was November. And, and obviously, there was still a long part of the season to go. Yeah, and obviously, you just mentioned the Champions League. We have to talk about uh, the Olympiacos game because that was another one. Obviously, uh, watching it, I think I watched it at home actually, just in front of the telly uh, with my dad. But that was only ten days after um, the Arsenal game, and you were on the bench that night. Did you feel disappointed by that at all? Did you feel like you should you should have started that game? Fuming, fuming. Um, probably been more angry at half time because we were losing one nil, and I spent the whole half time just staring at Rafa, waiting for him to look at me and say, "You're coming on." But but he didn't. He turned around to cinema Pongal. Good player, but he didn't score goals like I scored goals, and he knew he needed goals. And he brought him on. I'm thinking, what's he doing? Bringing him on instead of me. So I was fuming with him. But what a genius! Because two minutes into the second half, Cinema Pongol scores, so he made the right decision. And I spent the whole second half running up and down the touchline, staring at Rafa, <laughs> watching the game. And eventually, he, he brought me on, scored a goal. Nunes should have scored before I scored at the back post. Goalie saved it, little tapping, and then. Offer went back to the halfway line. It's funny because obviously Gerard's goal is a goal that we, we all remember as, as what a moment, what a goal. Uh, and we re- recreated me and my kids and the missus a TikTok with, with that goal because there's a TikTok on obviously Gerard, you beauty. And um, obviously it, it was great. It was in lockdown. We had all day to do it, which it took us. And, and then when my lad was back at school and eventually the kids were back, he came back one day and he said, Dad, you never told me you scored in that game. Because my goal was sort of forgotten about. Uh, I was like, yeah, I scored. It was just a tap-in. So, yeah, it was nice to have got the, a goal. But the big moment was Stevie's goal. And I think the commentary helped me. Um, you can see on the screen now that I've got quite a small forehead because my my hair seems to be going forward as I get older. Um, <laughs> I wish I had that problem. Yeah. But, but backwards. Despite having the small forehead, I still managed to nod it down for Stevie. Uh, but grateful to Martin Tyler for that commentary, which was... Uh, lovely cushioned header, wasn't it? That was it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, obviously brings on Pongol, and then two, like three minutes after you entered the fray for Milan Barros, it's the, the the goal that you just mentioned there, and I I think it's a I think it's a really good goal. It's like an instinctive one. Obviously, Nunes gets up the back stick, isn't it? Keeper saves it, and then you're just in there. But it's you, it's the quick reactions because the defender, like I watched it again this morning just to remind myself, like of that moment, and the defender nearly clears it, but you just get your toe just ahead of him. So yeah. can't be understated how big that goal is as well. Obviously, not not as not as uh, beautiful as Stevie's, no. but still no. crucial. Yeah, well, but we knew we needed another, so it was a case of right, okay, let, let's go again. But to the halfway line, and, and we'll come again. I honestly thought I'd score another. Um, I thought right, I'm going to get another one here. It wasn't to be for me, but it was for Stevie. What a moment for him. 
Yeah, and I was just like, when I've been looking at the stats and that, like, w- like your only assist for Liverpool, I-, I-, I can't think of any other player <laughs> who's got one assist at a club, apart from maybe Balotelli, obviously Balotelli for the Aguero goal. Yeah. But I can't think of any other player who's had one assist at a club and it to be so iconic. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be in that category, or maybe, <laughs> maybe no, it's maybe, good, uh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a memorable one. Um, but obviously, when the ball came into me from Carragher on the left wing, what was he doing yeah. there? Um, I had two options I could go to Stevie or, or John Anarisa, who John Anarisa. Lovely left foot. You trust him with his left peg, but I knew if I had nodded it down, he was on his right foot and one in about 700 shots on his right foot were going to hit the target. So I was going to uh, sway towards nodding it down for Stevie. And when he scores, I'm not sure if the camera, any of the camera angles actually pick it up. I stupidly stood on the edge of the box, just buzzing that it had gone in. And I thought Stevie would stop and celebrate with me. So I put my hands up and gone, get in there. And he's just barged past me, winded me. So by the time I got to celebrate with him in the corner, I was one of the last players there. And yet I was, should have been closest to him. Because he'd win me, pushed me out of the way so quickly. It took me ages to get there uh, to celebrate with him in the corner. <laughs> and was that, as Alec, as a player, was that the best atmosphere you've you've experienced that night? Yeah, it was amazing. As a player, as a fan, I'd say Chelsea in the semi-final that year was, I was in the, the old main stand. That was the loudest and the best atmosphere I've ever experienced. Yeah, I was at Istanbul. Yes, I've been at other finals that we've won. But that semi-final against Chelsea was just something that I've I've never experienced before being in, in the stadium for that. But Olympiacos for me, yes, on the pitch to experience that. But, but Chelsea in the semi was was the was the best. Yeah, it was like it was like ears bleeding. It was that loud, like it's just like ridiculously, ridiculously loud. Um, but then obviously we're talking about. Loads of positives, like there's some negatives because obviously you get injured, I think, from the January onwards and you have to have the surgery and stuff, so you missed all the knockout stages and, and the final, of course. But obviously I mentioned the, the Redmen uh, interview earlier and I, I, like, the, the whole story about Fernando Morientes like, just going down to the fella and saying, I'm Fernando Morientes getting out his passport, I have to show the fella. He gives him a hug and then he gets you all onto the pitch, which is like, what, what a story. True, because you know, for those fans that were inside the stadium, it was sixty nine thousand fans. Must have been sixty thousand Liverpool fans. There's only a small pocket behind the goal of the AC Milan fans, and we were all in our Liverpool trackies, and, and everyone had the Liverpool colours on. Of course, they did because it's a big cup final. All the Liverpool fans, and so we were sort of where you know the, the players not involved and all the wives were sat, and and our only way was to pile down to the bottom of the stand and try and get on the pitch. We, with our mates, my mates, they've just won the Champions League. I want to go and say well done. But all the fans wanted to get on the pitch as well. So there's obviously loads of stewards. And uh, this Turkish lad was not having it at all. He was, obviously didn't see the Olympiacos game because he had no no idea who I was. Um, and um, the big Chris Kirkland was there. Pellegrini, Pellegrino. I always get them mixed up the ending. Remember him? Big centre-half. Big sign from Malaga, was it? Went on yeah. to manage Southampton. You, you know what I mean. And, and yeah, more Pellegrino, wasn't it? So, so, so Morientes has gone, uh, right, I'll speak to him. And he spoke to him and he was like, no, no, I don't, didn't even believe it was Morientes. So he, he did, he had to get his passport out to prove it was it was him. He just sort of said, listen, I've won the Champions League four times. <laughs> In broken English, obviously. And uh, he's onto the pitch. Stuart's giving him a big hug. Not sure if the steward had a, f- a phone or not for a selfie, but he, he let Fernando Morientes on. But Morientes could have just scarpered and, and, and obviously gone with the, 
the team and left us all. He made sure every single one of us got on the pitch. So when Stevie lifted the uh, the trophy, we we're on the back of the podium and um, and enjoying that moment. It was it was amazing. Yeah, and then you you get Maldini's um, medal. Is it Mal- Maldini's or Shevchenko's? Um... Obviously, runners-up medal. Yeah, still waiting for a phone call off one of them. Uh, so, so <laughs> obviously, we've done the trophy lift, the confetti's everywhere, and we we come off the podium to go and share the moment with the fans. And and it was Pellegrini. Did we say it was Pellegrini or Pellegrino? I think it's Pellegrino. I think Pellegrino. Pellegrino. So, so he's hovering about by the podium where all the medals were, and um, he just sort of picks a couple up and he goes, "Do you want one?" So I was like, "Yeah, that one, yeah." Thinking it's the winner's medal. Um, but it turned out it was silver, so I put it in my pocket, and, and off we go. Uh, tried to swap it with Triori in the changing room afterwards for for a real. <laughs> I didn't really, but um, yeah. that was how we got. I just left them behind. Obviously, didn't want want to want to pick them up. So when Maldini wants his runners up medal from two thousand and five, I'll have to give it him back. It's at my dad's house at the moment, so I'll have to go and get it there. I say it's it's. Um... Inflation and all that, at least in the hundreds of thousands by now, isn't it? Though, so if you want one of the players had to get his winner's medal insured and it was insured for 20 grand, that was what it was. 20 grand, oh wow, that would be more than that, yeah. Back then, 2005, that should be loads more now, though, to be fair. Um, but yeah, that's that's like just a, such a funny like your dad's got that, your, your dad's got either Maldini's or Shevchenko's runners up, like that's yeah. such a like. Just a hilarious story. That's so funny. Um, but then another like negative is that obviously you missed the parade. Obviously, you, with, with along with Stephen Warnock, um, I, I think you. So you got you got the flight before the players, and then you landed. They landed after you, and then obviously it was low with the Liverpool fans. So you ended up missing it somehow, didn't you? Yeah, devastated. Um, yeah, we landed at uh, Liverpool Airport first, uh, but. The players and the wives were on a separate flight, landed an hour after us. And we were waiting for our bags. Obviously, Liverpool Airport was chocker. And someone should have just made the call. Lad, just forget your bags. Get back to Melwood. So the first team were obviously there because um, we were waiting for about two hours for our bags and, and the buses were ready to go. Don't know who made the call. Rafa, Stevie, was, they were desperate for us to all be there. Police were saying, listen, we've got a million people on the streets so you need to get going. Can't be waiting any longer. And so when we got back to Melwood, the buses had gone and devastated. I, I drove home and I watched it on TV and I was crying. You know, I was devastated because I wanted to be there to share that moment. I had family, I had friends on the on the route uh, wanting to be there and sort of wave at me on the bus. Um, so, yeah, never got to experience that. But obviously um, it was great scenes to, to see all the fans turn out for the players the way they did. Yeah, I mean that's like you you deserve that moment as well. Just obviously from being a part of getting us there, the whole like Olympiacos stuff, and so you more than deserve that. So that's just the like obviously circumstances and stuff. That's just not good. But um, yeah, I mean you more than deserved to be there. More than deserved it. But what let's like? Move, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then. Obviously, you moved on uh, from the Reds and you spent like five or so years at Preston, the championship, and you retired um, six months or so shy of your of your 30th birthday in 2012. Um, how, was th- how was that? Like, obviously, we, we were talking before about like the whole tendonitis thing in your legs and stuff. And 
did that feel like it was just the right move because of all the problems you had, or because like you you still you're still twenty nine? Does it does it? It's obviously very conflicting in your mind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I had my thirtieth in town in the Malmaison. and it was a good party. Um, but yeah, um, it, it was medical advice. The surgeon was like, "No chance. You, you can't carry on with, with, with those knees." Uh, I knew after surgery, about the third or fourth surgery with my knees, the surgeon said, "You can't play at top level football with with your condition." Um, so I dropped down to the championship, like you say, um, managed it, coped with it. You know, I would love to have experienced more again, but I had to manage my body all the way through my career. It was a frustration. Could never play a game without taking a, a painkilling tablet. That was the way it was for me, unfortunately. Um, and then it got to a point where the damage was too big. And because of one incident uh, away at MK Dons, I was playing for, for Preston, twisted in the ground. There was no one near me and my knee just sort of cracked away. And, and that was it, game over. Wow, and, and I think that's like one of those. Like when you when you're 29, you still feel like you can you can do a, a job for for at least another like four or five years. So that's like one of those where obviously you're getting the medical advice, but yeah, it's just one of those things, I suppose, isn't it? But then you obviously you moved on to doing the LFC TV stuff and and going to watch the youth team and stuff. How was how was that transition? How, and how how was that for you to be on the other side of the the field? Yeah, nothing nothing will ever replace. The buzz of being stood there in front of the cop, knowing you've scored the winning goal. I mean, that is the ultimate high that every everybody wants as a professional football player. I got to experience that. I'm sort of in the mindset of not looking back at you know what what more could he have done. It's sort of I got to think about what what I can do. And so um, yeah, I, I love the media. I absolutely love it. Um, I talk about with the under 18s, the academy side, 21s now, previously 23s. Uh, absolutely love it because because I know the pathway they're on. I've been there. I've, I know how difficult it is. I know how close they are. How much they want it. Um, and it's I've, I've enjoyed seeing some very talented players come through our youth system, and, and there will be even more. Um, we've obviously got a first team manager at the moment, which is beneficial for academy players. That will give them that opportunity. We'll have that pathway. But I know how blocked it can be. You know, my time under um, Stevie Highway and and, and Gerard Hooley, I didn't get on. So, so, so we to get down to Melwood was very difficult. You know, I needed fifty six goals to get down to Melwood. It, it was it was difficult. Whereas lads now, the connection um, is a lot better, which will help these younger players. And uh, nothing better is than seeing a young player coming through, progressing to the first team. Trent, we've seen it with Trent, absolutely magnificent. Other players, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott as well. I know he was on, only there briefly compared to a couple of the other ones, but but it's great to see that pathway is there for us. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Mike Reed, Optus Michael Reed, because um, I do chat yeah. to Mike now, now and again. Uh, Every start he's got it in his locker is brilliant. Honestly, I, he must be sick of me because I just DM him going, Mike, can you um, tell me the stats from, from like 2002 yeah. to 2006, please? And he comes back instantly with it, like all packaged nicely. What a guy. Um, but before we go, Neil, I just thought I wanted to ask you about like Jürgen Klopp, obviously, because he's he's been here for since 2015. And what have you made of like the journey that we've, we've been on for the last seven years one of our great managers um he has reconnected the football club um with everybody i think everybody feels part of it the supporters there's a connection with, with the players um he's brought success he's brought good times he's brought trophies uh, and when he arrived it was sort of thinking oh, i'd love us to be able to compete we, we are now one of the best teams in world football 
And I believe that is down to Jurgen Klopp. He has been unbelievable, not just for the football club, for the city as well. He, I talked about the connection, about connecting with, with the club for me when I was a young player. Jurgen has connected with the fans, the city, and, and that's why he has, has stayed so long. Absolutely loved what he has brought to this football club. Um, before he came, we used to lose our best players. Under Jurgen, we don't lose our best players anymore and we can beat any any side in world football. So, so that is what Jurgen has brought. Success, happy times, great memories and I've loved 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 his um, his time at Liverpool. Yeah, cause like you said, like when we had like the likes of Torres and Suarez, Alonso, Mascherano, they've always been great players, but there's always been that like getting circled by... Um, the the Spanish clubs, obviously, especially when they're like South American players as well, they always get picked off. But you've never I've never really felt that under Klopp. And I think that's the like like you said, the most secure we've ever been, which is which is lovely um in itself. But yeah. Um but Neil, I think we'll we'll we can leave it there. I really, really appreciate you yeah, taking the time to jump on. Um I think I said it would be half an hour, but we're on we're getting on to fifty minutes here. So apologies okay. if we've got, we've gone over a little bit. So long. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. I would have kept you longer, but um yeah, would have been here all night otherwise. But uh, really appreciate you jumping on and um, been really enjoyable. But if you're watching on YouTube, do uh, like and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or any audio podcasts, uh, do leave us a rating and a, um, a review if you're feeling extra generous because it really helps the um, the show get better and, and, and bigger. Um, but yeah, thanks again to Neil and thanks everyone for watching or listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.